Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Wednesday, May 13th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Coming up, uh, just a couple minutes, we'll get to an interview and a conversation I had with Flyers forward Morgan Frost. Gotten 20 games this year. We'll talk to him about his season about the AHL canceling their season and the possibility that if the NHL comes back and expands the rosters, that he could be one of the players that works out with the Flyers, and you never know, could get into playoff games for the Philadelphia Flyers. Had some moments of flash this year, for sure. So we'll talk to Morgan Frost coming up in a couple of minutes. And after Morgan, we'll talk with Bill Meltzer as we look at the latest uh, version of the return-to-play scenario uh, for the National Hockey League, a 24-team playoff field. Bill and I will break that down and all the latest NHL news and headlines. Player profiles continue right now. Here's my conversation with Morgan Frost. Player profiles continuing here on Flyers Daily and very happy to have Flyers uh, center Morgan Frost on the line. Morgan, uh, how you making out? Uh, I'm good. I'm just chilling, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to to you know be on the show here. Well, Morgan, you weren't excited probably the other day when the AHL decided uh, they're putting a fork in it. It's over for the year. What was your first reaction when you saw that? Um, I mean, you, I feel like you could kind of see that coming, but I, it's it's still disappointing regardless once it you know finally becomes official and. Uh, you know, we weren't really having the year that we wanted to down there with uh, with the Phantoms, but it was a great group of guys, and I think everyone was learning and, and kind of having fun with it each and every day. So, yeah, it's it's it sucks to see it cut short. Yeah, it, you're you know you're going to be 21 tomorrow. By the way, happy birthday! Um, Thank you. It's it's a big one too, dude. 21. I I wanted to like pour one out for you here on the show, just you know, so you could have your first yeah. legal cocktail. <laughs> I know. Finally, it was a it was a long year. It was a tough year being uh, being underage. Dude, dude, how brutal is that though? Like your twenty first birthday and everything is shut down. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is different, but I mean, at the same time, in in Canada here, it's nineteen. So when I uh, when I hit legal age here, I uh, I don't even remember what I did, but I definitely went out oh. and, and grabbed a beer for sure when I when I got legal here. Well, that was a good night. You don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, talk about this year, uh, playing under Scott Gordon. Uh, Gordo was up uh, with the Flyers last year as the uh, interim coach, and players really responded to him, really liked him a lot. Um, what was it like playing for Gordo? Yeah, I mean, he can, you can tell he's got a lot of experience. He's been doing it for a while, and, um, you know, he has he has his way of doing things, and I think, you know, it's it's pretty effective. And, uh, you know, he definitely taught me a lot this year, kind of coming in from junior and not really knowing much about the pro game. And, uh, yeah, I think I learned a lot from him. And, um, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's a good coach. Uh, is, is it kind of weird? Like, I've always wondered this. I was a goalie, so, and, and Scott was a goaltender. Is it weird as a forward when your coach was a goalie? Is, is there anything in that? <laughs> uh I don't know. That's, uh, I don't think it's too, right? I mean, I don't really think about that too much, but, um, you know, you never know. Maybe, maybe one of the one or two of the times when I've disagreed with Gordo, I, you know, put that in the back of my head, maybe because he's a goalie and, you know, sometimes, sometimes goalies can be a little different, but uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. He was, uh, he was good. I, I never really thought of him as a goalie, to be honest. Yeah. You go like, dude, you've never been on the four check. What do you know? You know, <laughs> You're sitting there waiting for everything to come to you, hanging out in your crease, uh, having a sandwich. Um, Morgan, this past season, you know, you got you got up with the Flyers a decent amount of games, 20 games. You had seven points in those 20 games. 41 games with the Phantoms, 13 goals, 16 assists for 29. 
First, talk to me about that jump from junior. You know, you played in the OHL for the Sioux City Greyhounds, and that jump to play in pro. How pronounced is that jump going from playing junior and, you know, kids that are guys that are basically your same age to all of a sudden playing with men? Yeah, it was, uh, it's definitely kind of a weird transition year, not just because you're going from, uh, you know, junior to pro, but even just, you know, in my last year junior there, I was one of the oldest guys in the league, like older guys in the league. And then um, you come to pro hockey and, and you're pretty much the youngest age possible and uh, are pretty close to it. So it, it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, a big uh, adjustment and, and change. But I think, you know, with all the maturity that the older guys have on, you know, both the Flyers and the Phantoms, they kind of, you know, helped me through it. And I learned a lot from them. And, uh, you know, both teams have really great uh, groups of guys. You know, going through a couple of years through development camps and, and training camp uh, with the club, um, what, what did that experience do for you and how you prepare for uh, the offseason coming into this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, all those camps and stuff, they help. And, you know, especially when I kind of just got introduced in the organization, you – uh it's it's really nice to have those just to kind of meet the staff and, and meet the other prospects and, and guys in the organization just so you're comfortable and I think you know that's a huge thing like first couple of times coming to Philly I was uh you know a little uncomfortable and you know it's a whole new situation and now uh now I'm comfortable so whenever I have to go into those camps or you know training camp or whatever it is rookie games um you know I, I've been through it and, and I'm comfortable and uh, you know, it, it helps a lot. It makes things easier. Um, you know, the, the team and, and the way it's built right now is that you have an older core and you have a younger core and some guys in between. And there's been a lot made about the prospects for this team for the past couple of years. You're a big part of that um, and why people are so excited. Talk about what that's like, the kind of the camaraderie with that young group of guys that you're coming up with now and you've been with, with Joel and, and other guys, you know, to have this young core coming up setting this team up for a really good future it's pretty cool yeah I mean, um you know i've built a lot of great friendships with you know guys in similar positions to me and, and guys are in my age that i've come through the organization with and uh you know it creates a little bit of a healthy competition we all know there's you know there's always going to be limited spots and we're young guys trying to make trying to make our mark so um i think we all push each other to be better and uh yeah it's uh, it's a great group of guys so um i'm excited to be a part of it um, I know you're really close with Joel uh, Farabee. He was up and down a little bit this this year as well. Do you guys kind of lean on each other a little bit to, you know, kind of you know keep each other's motivated and moving in the right direction and and kind of just you know you're both going through very similar things at the same time. I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, we kind of knew that going in, and I don't think that's ever affected our friendship or anything like that. We were both trying to make the team and. Um, you know, to be honest, I think for the most part, we try and keep it away from hockey when we're, when we're talking and hanging out just because, you know, we're around the rink so much every day. And, um, but, but just in general, I mean, I've learned a lot from Joel on the ice and, uh, you know, I, I think we try and take a, a few little things from each other's games and incorporate them into our own. And, um, you know, he's an unbelievable player and, uh, it's a lot of fun to watch, watch him play and, um, you know, even more fun to play with them. I got a couple opportunities this year. So uh, hopefully more of that in the future. Let me take you back to 2019 uh, and November 19th. You make your NHL debut uh, on the road in Florida. You pick up a goal in that game. And then two days later, your second NHL game against Carolina on the road again, a goal and an assist, three points in your first two games. You're thinking this is pretty easy, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I think I. I think I. You know, went a little too hard at the start. I wish I could have. You know, spread a couple of those points or goals over the next twenty games. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It was a. That was an unbelievable little stretch of a couple of days or, or a week or whatever it was. Um, you know, it. It honestly went by so quick, and uh, it was a dream come true. And. Um, yeah, those two, those two games were a lot of fun. I wish I could have kept, uh, you know, kept playing that well for the next little bit and stayed up. But um, a lot of guys, I'll ask them when their career is over. They played in the league twelve or fifteen years or whatever. They're ten years removed. You ask them about their first NHL goal and they can recite it. Uh, do you remember the exact situation in Florida? Was it on Bob that you scored? Yeah, yeah, it was. There was uh, we were in the offensive zone, and um, I think I was hanging out a little low in the in the zone as the puck was going the other way and uh you know tk made an unbelievable play to dive almost at the blue line and and keep it in and poke it down to me and i saw some room and uh i was i was just looking to attack the net and um i think there was a defenseman coming so i wasn't going to be able to uh bring it all the way across the net and i just saw a little bit of room short side above his shoulder and uh you know i kind of just kind of just tried to put it up there blink and blink and shoot it and uh Luckily, it went in, and um, you could probably tell by my celebration, I was pretty pumped about it. Oh, yeah. That's one of those huge moments for a player, and uh, and you didn't score on some chump in the net. You know, you got one by Bobrovsky as well. Um, after that first couple of games, you just mentioned that you, you went into a, a, a bit of a stretch without getting any points. Um, at the NHL level, as a young player, it's, it's pretty easy to start squeezing it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think, um, you know, I don't remember the exact, you know, amount or stretch of games, but... I think even after those first two games, I was playing pretty well for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, towards the end of um, my time up there, I, I definitely started to grip my stick. And, uh, you know, it's a little different. I've, I've, you know, kind of been a scorer at every level. And then you kind of, you get to a level and, and it's, you know, it's so hard to score and get points at the, at the NHL level. And um, you realize how hard you have to work and, and all the time you have to put into put yourself in those situations and be able to capitalize and um but yeah I think you kind of nailed it on the ball I think it's it's easy as a young guy to start gripping the stick a little bit too much and uh you know although I have a lot of confidence in myself I think that was kind of the case um when you're facing NHL goaltenders you just mentioned it you're, you're a guy that has scored at every level you've ever been at and at pretty pretty impressive uh levels of scoring when you're facing NHL goaltenders, what's the difference? Do they get into your head a little bit? Do they show you something and just take it away? Or what is it about the NHL that makes it so difficult to score on? These goalies are better than ever right now. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, you know, there's definitely a little bit less net to shoot at than, than, I've, than I was used to from junior. And, um, yeah, I, I think they're just smart. And, you know, they're, they're in the NHL for a reason. And, uh, they're so good at closing up little holes and, and being, you know, kind of airtight. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely a challenge. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping to get another opportunity at it where I can kind of, you know, put a few in the net. Um, with, with the pause still going on, and we mentioned earlier the, the AHL season officially being canceled, if the NHL does come back and goes to a 2014 playoff field, presumably they're going to they're gonna, uh, expand the rosters. And you're obviously a prime candidate to be on that roster. Uh, for the Flyers for a playoff run. What means you get back on the ice this year as opposed to waiting until next fall or whenever it might be? Yeah, I, I think that'd be great. I think, you know, the league's doing, you know, all it can to kind of bring things together. And 
um, you know, for me, obviously I'd be coming in as, you know, kind of an extra if I was able to, you know, get that call. And, um, you know, regardless of that, it's, it would obviously be disappointing to not, not to play, but it would be an unbelievable experience. And, um, yeah, I, I love being in Philly. So that would, uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, we're all hoping that that is the case. Let me ask you about playing for your country in 2019. You played in the uh, world juniors, uh, in five games, you had eight points, nah, not too shabby. Uh, how was that experience where you're playing for your country wearing that maple leaf on your jersey? Oh, that was, uh, you know, it's honestly, it's hard to describe. That was, you know, probably one of the best moments of my life. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really unfortunate the way that we finished the tournament and, you know, especially in home soil, we didn't really, um, you know, bring any, bring any gold or any medals back for, for Canada. But at the same time, on a, on a personal level, that was, you know, one of the best experiences of my life that month stretch. And um, yeah, like I said, it's something I'll never forget. I took a lot of, took a lot of pride in, um, you know, wearing that Jersey and uh, yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable time. Yeah. You were uh, third in scoring in the tournament that year. Tell people what it, what it means to a Canadian kid to play in the world juniors. It means a lot. Like, I, I don't know that a lot of people in the United States understand what it means for a kid growing up in your case, outside of Toronto to play for your country in the world juniors. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that's almost why I said uh, it's hard to describe because it, it kind of is. That's something it's almost instilled in your mind as a, as a kid growing up, if you're a hockey fan is that, you know, you're always watching those world juniors team Canada playing in the world juniors during Christmas time. And, um, you know, I, you've probably heard a million guys say it over the years that have played for Canada, but it's just such an honor to put that jersey on. And um, it's something you dream about doing when you're a kid. So that was that was something uh, that was one of the best experiences. And um, I'll always be proud that I made that team and, uh, you know, represented our country. Yeah. And you did really well in the tournament as well. Uh, individually, you guys had some decent team success. Morgan, uh, you've had an interesting upbringing. Your dad's a radio guy. Um, he yeah. was also the uh, PA announcer at the Air Canada Senator for, uh, for years. It's just unfortunate that he's not doing that when you'll play a game there. Yeah, that was, uh, that was something we talked about a lot um, as I was growing up. That would be one of the coolest things ever would have, would have been for him to, you know, announce me if hopefully I could make it one day. And uh, yeah, it's, un it's unfortunate that didn't happen, but uh, you know, I get to hear that voice at home every day and uh it doesn't sound too different than when he's announcing his voice. It's it's pretty spot on. So, um, yeah, I, I'll never take that for granted either. So, so, so what's it like growing up with a with a dad that's on the radio? Because I'll play this part for my kid because I've been doing this now for 26 years, and he just thinks I'm a dork. Um, but what, what was it like having a dad that, you know, was uh, doing the rock radio thing and, and, you know, doing all that broadcasting for you as you're coming up playing hockey? Because I know guys in hockey in the locker room like to break the stones a little bit. It was it was pretty sweet. I mean, um, you know, I got to go to the radio station in DC Matt when I was a young kid and uh I mean I, I my favorite kind of music now is kind of that old that old rock music and those vintage those vintage songs from back then. So, um, you know, I kinda attribute that to my dad. I don't think he he wanted me playing too much, you know, hip hop or anything like that when I was growing up in the car. Uh, it was mostly the classic rock, and I'm really, I'm really glad that that was the case because I love that music, and um, I'm, I'm really happy that he was able to introduce me to that kind of, that kind of, uh, you know, the olden days of music with, uh, with what job he had. Uh, did you get some good fringe benefits? Go to concerts and stuff like that. Did you get to meet any rock stars that you always wanted to meet? 
Uh, not, not too many big ones, but I did go to, uh, I did go to a few concerts with my dad, a few old ones. We went to Springsteen once and, um, Robert Plant once. And, nice. uh, yeah, a couple of old guys like that. So there was, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, no, no bigger legend than Springsteen and Plant, to be honest with you. Uh, great stuff. And I know yeah. Jake Vorchek's a huge Springsteen guy. Blair's it in the locker yeah, room, right? Springsteen's a Philly legend now. Well, Jersey, close enough, yeah. He's Jersey? Jersey? Yeah, yeah okay. Stone Balloon right over in Jersey. I'm not a Springsteen yeah. guy. I'm a Plant guy. I love Led Zeppelin, and I love Plant. But uh, not much of a Springsteen guy. I, like, I catch crap for it all the time. But, Morgan, um, yeah, hey, Jake, man, I, ho- I really hope you can get yeah. <laughs> I really hope you guys can get back on the ice, man, and get, this, get these, these playoffs, and everybody can get back in the rinks and get back to normal a little bit here. Uh, I appreciate you doing this, man. Stay healthy up there, and uh, – uh, hopefully you're back here in Philly soon and looking forward to another great year from you next year and taking that next step in your career. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the words. And welcome back to Flyers Daily. Uh, great conversation there with uh, Flyers rookie Morgan Frost uh, as player profiles continue. And joining us right now is Bill Meltzer. Bill, uh, boy, he got off to a flying start when he was called up to the NHL. First couple of games, really sensational performances. And he kind of alluded to it there at the NHL level. When you're not having success and getting on the scoreboard, you can start to squeeze the stick pretty quick. Oh, certainly. I mean, you look at Morgan's first two games, um, really pretty goals in both games. He set up the winning goal in the, in, in the second game. And the third game was actually that game at home against Calgary. And if you remember, Morgan had a, a pair of two-on-one opportunities. Oh, uh, one yeah. of them elected to pass. One of them elected to shoot. Both of them he wished he could have had back and, and done the opposite. Then the third period, he had a turnover, and it led to a goal against, and it was a game the Flyers ended up you know, ultimately uh, losing pass regulation. And then from there, you saw him have a – you know, he started to question himself a little bit. And, yeah, it's, it's so funny how fast confidence can turn in a player. And yeah. Morgan, Morgan definitely was having, you know, a little issue with confidence for a while. And, you know, honestly, I mean – I think uh, long-term, there's a lot of reason to be excited about Morgan, but it also showed, the season really showed the difference between junior hockey and the NHL because things came very easily to Morgan, you know, in the in the uh, Ontario Hockey League, even the World Juniors. Yeah. You know, he had a great tournament. Urban scoring. And, yeah. yeah. And, and um, you know, both really the AHL level too this year. You know, I, I think I think the good news, the best news with Morgan is that all of the elements you want to see from him are, are there. He's capable of all of them. To me, it comes down to, to three things. Uh, keeping his feet moving, um, continuing to improve defensively, and just um, you know getting a little bit stronger physically. And be playing center in the NHL is, is tough. It's, it's, it's arguably harder than playing wing in the NHL. And if he's going to be a center, he's going to have to continue to get you know, physically stronger. And uh, really, you know, the rest of it just comes down to consistency. But I think in stretches this year, both with the Phantoms and also with the Flyers. Even when he had his second call-up, which was just for a couple of games, I could see I could see elements of improvement there. Even though you know, even though he didn't put up a point in the second call-up, you know, I, I think the pieces are coming together. It doesn't always happen overnight, but I, I think that in stretches he showed what you want to see. And now, you know, as he continues to gain experience, just putting it together a little more consistency. I think that's that's really the key. And then. You know, a year from now, whether his future is going to be at center or at wing, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I think there's a lot to be excited about with him. And, and I think just the fact that he didn't come into the NHL and dominate immediately could be a good thing for him in the long haul. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and it's funny, like those three things that you just mentioned, 
were very similar three things you would point out with a guy who was an all-star this year for the Flyers, played in the OHL for the Ottawa 67s and Sarnia Sting. And Travis Konechny, it was moving your feet, being better defensively and making the smart play a lot of times, especially in the neutral zone. And, you know, just winning those board battles and putting on a little size and a little muscle. That's it. And that's, that's, that's the thing for so many players, you know, um, we could go all the way back to Claude Giroux, you know, not making the flyers out of his first training camp his first pro season and struggling with the Phantoms. He had five points, his first 12 games in the American league. And then the light bulb went on for him and he's had the career that he's had, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always click instantly for, for most players, the, the ones who, the ones who just, hit the ground running and they dominate and, you know, live happily ever after. Those are, those are few and far between most players experience, you know, their share of ups and downs or bumps in the road. And they're, you know, and they're, they're bright points too. And, you know, I, I think he's, I think actually Morgan is, is in a good place. And I, he, he's a guy who I think over the long haul is going to be a very good player for this team. Yeah, I do too. And he's, it fits today's NHL perfectly. And I, I love the fact that he said, you know, all his levels growing up, scoring came very easily to him. Now you're facing, you know, you're playing against the best men in the world. You're facing NHL caliber goaltending. It is different, but he will adjust. I think he's a, a real good kid and uh, reminds me of Konechny early in his career uh, and also in the demeanor in which he kind of handles himself in an interview. Very laid back, very chill guy. Dad's a disc jockey in Toronto, you know, doing classic rock radio. You go, now here's Leonard Skinner, you know, that kind of thing. So it's all cool, you know. Absolutely. Morgan has a little bit of that, too. He's a big Tom Petty fan from, from what he yeah. said. So, yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, I, I think also one of the one of the biggest adjustments, really not just for Morgan, but really for any player who's dominated in junior hockey, is that and Morgan put up some ridiculous plus minuses in in the Ontario League. He was plus seventy one year and plus thirty the next year. He had nineteen shorthanded points. I mean, that's 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 a level that's you know you're too good for that level, and you've always got the puck. That's why learning to play without the puck, because I don't care how good you are. You're going to play without the puck a lot more as a pro. That's why that that part of the learning curve takes probably the most time. That is an insane number, by the way, that he was plus 70 in 67 games in the 17-18 city for Sue. <laughs> I mean, plus 70 is ridiculous on any amount of games. But in 67 games to be a plus 70? Wow. Tremendous stuff. And I uh, look forward to uh, seeing how he develops uh, – well, we'll see how it goes if uh, they expand these NHL rosters. So let's get right into that element, Bill. Uh, there's a lot of reporting coming out uh, from several different sources uh, that the NHL is kind of scrapping the regular season idea, if you will. You know, the, the seven teams uh, that would not make the postseason in the 2014 field, it's a little too much risk maybe for the NHL to control that. It's also going to eat up tests. Um, so it looks like they're going to opt for the 2014 field as plan A. Plan B would be a 16-team field, and it'll all be depending on how much time they have to, to execute a playoff format. Um, but I, there's some interesting kind of factors here for me. Um, first and foremost, um, it seems as if there's going to be best-of-three play-in situations for the bottom team. So I guess that would be if there's 12 teams in each conference. So I guess that would be the teams essentially the bottom six teams would be playing for those final two spots. Does that make sense? Or the final eight teams and the top four seeds would then automatically be in. And then those eight teams would get it down to four and they would constitute the eight seed conference, I guess. Right. I, I would suppose so. Um, you know, that's uh, I'm, I'm looking for a little bit more clarity in that myself. Um, I, I guess the good news from a flyer standpoint is whether you, 
whatever format you go by, they're automatically in because yeah. they're second in they're second in the metro and they're fourth in the east. So however whichever way you slice and dice it, the Flyers would would know that they're in whenever they come back. So that's uh that's a positive. And it's a you know, that's also and it harkens back to really how well the Flyers are playing in uh when the pause hit, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's a refreshing change to know you to know you're in as opposed to being on the bubble uh, as you're fighting fighting to get in. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, I guess it'd be a, a nice reward for them to know that they're in, and then you know, then we'll see. I mean, I the shorter a series is early on, I mean, that's something else you want to stay out of too, just be, particularly when you've had a, a long layoff. So, you know, you, you could have some teams sneaking in that um, had they played 82 games might not have been in to begin with. So, I mean, it could make for some intrigue depending on depending on how many teams end up competing for spots. And I also think that eliminating those teams at the very bottom that had no chance. I mean, you know, you had one team that's already 40, 40-something points out of the playoffs. It didn't make much sense to me to to bring them back for a training camp and, you know, all the rest of that just to, play out the string and try to play spoiler or play for the or play for well actually wouldn't even be playing for playoff position if, if they have the draft in june they really have nothing to play for so you know i i think that those teams you know quite frankly they're, they're probably happier off being done and then we'll see we'll see how we'll see when this begins i know they'd like to get it done at a relatively brisk pace i think it would be a shame that you know except for maybe a playoff round if you would have to go shorter in series you know the, the shorter a series uh to me the the more of it more x factors there are in that series i i'd like to see seven games as you get in beyond any kind of play-in round but i mean we'll see we'll see what kind of time is available we'll see how all that works out but it, it certainly sounds like a lot of wheels are turning and they're they're trying to you know uh firm up what what would happen in the next phase of, of the uh you know for returning to play yeah, and the one scenario that I read as well is that um, while those bottom eight teams, if you will, or bottom what or no, yeah, bottom eight teams, while they're battling it out for the final playoff spots, the top teams would then battle it out as well for seeding. Not that that's going to play a big factor here, because this is likely, by all accounts, going to be in front of empty buildings or at a centralized location, and um, so home ice isn't going to be something that it. it you know, usually is, but I guess you're playing for last change there. And when you look at those bottom teams like Detroit and Ottawa and, you know, all of California, um, I think one of the fears there too, Bill, was competitive balance. You know, these teams aren't going to play their best players. They're just going to say, I don't feel comfortable playing. And then, you know, then you're kind of throwing games, if you will, with an AHL team out there. So it's it's another interesting dynamic of it. But the AHL canceled their season, Bill. And one of the other... Uh, kind of notions that's going here is they're going to have to expand these rosters. Um, 30 players could be a possibility to expand the roster to, and so these players can be practicing and training with the team uh, should they need to get in there for injury or whatever, a COVID-19 infection. No, absolutely. Because these players, the, the American league guys have been off the ice just as long as the NHL guys have. So, you know, they're going to need on ice training. They're going to need access to team training, workout facilities, and they're going to have to have a, a training camp with with the rest with the rest of the NHL roster because there's not going to be an AHL equivalent where they're going to be able to get in game shape. So what you're going to see is you'll see immediate expansion of the rosters. I've I've heard 30 men as a possibility also, um, just uh, you know because you can have quite a bit of attrition as you get into the postseason, particularly with guys coming off of long layoffs. So that you know 30 would be a, a, a 
fairly safe number. Um, when I asked Alain Vigneault, do you think that 30 players would be, you know, potentially create some complications on the front end? I mean, one of the reasons why you, um, you know, they try to keep, if you remember this year in camp, he actually cut the roster down much earlier than uh, initially anticipated. They had that, that Friday where they just, they cut a bunch of extra guys to get down to the main group. And he made the point that, you know, the reason why he did that then is he was trying to implement systems and, you know, things like that. And that's why he wanted the main group. He, he thinks it'll be more like where you, where you have your black aces in the playoffs and you, you know, you can work those guys in as you need to. So he didn't think that would be any big deal, whether the number is 25 or 30 or, you know, whatever final number that they arrive at. And one of the, one of the absolute necessities for every team here is every team is going to have to carry a third goalie anyway. Yeah. So you, what, what you'll see is that, uh, you know, usually the salary cap doesn't go away until the postseason. Well, players have already received their final paycheck the regular season anyway. So they're going to just go right into where, you know, they're, that, that wouldn't apply. So you can, you can carry the players in the roster. You have guys who are coming back off of IR anyway, you know, like James Van Riebsdyk in the Flyers case. And, you know, all those things where you have to adjust the cap, all that's going to be relaxed. So the teams can set their rosters for the postseason, and you know, I, I think that um, it was actually something that I, I was talking about earlier today, where you know, okay, how many extra guys would the Flyers need to carry? Well, again, you, you have to have a goalie, so you figure Alex Lyon will be part of that equation. Um, you're going to want to have an extra defenseman because um, there's seven Friedman. healthy guys right now. You're going to want an eighth, so I think I think Friedman comes back. Actually, Friedman was on. Friedman and Connor Bunneman were both on the Flyers' active roster at the time of the pause because yep. um, Nate Thompson was injured, and they were down to six defensemen. So they caught up Friedman and they they caught up Bunneman. They were both with the team in Tampa Bay, and because the NHL and the uh, American League went into pause essentially at the same time, there was no need, no reason to send anybody down. So those guys are already in the active roster. So you you know you put in Bunneman, you put in Friedman. So now you're up to 26 guys. Um, figure you figure we were just talking about Morgan Frost. You figure Frost would be called up, um, if, even if he's unlikely to get any games, barring multiple injuries. It's still really valuable experience being with the team, practicing during the playoffs. You really see how things get ramped up as a young player. That would be really valuable experience for him. So you're at 27 at that point, and then you look at okay, if it is 30, who would be the three other guys? Um, you know, and you have some possibilities there. You have, you have guys like um, uh, Vorobiev. Um, yep. Torinsky made the team to start the season, spent some games at that level. Um, I, I couldn't see Chris Stewart dressing again for the Flyers, but, you know, he spent a significant chunk of the season on, with the big team. So, you know, he might be a guy who is around. Um, you might want one more defenseman. You could have a guy like Andy Walensky or, or Nate Prosser who have, both of whom have NHL experience. So they'll have, they'll have a couple spots to play with to get to that 30. But it, uh, to me, that's one of the interesting points, actually, when they come back is that how will those spots be filled up if, if, you, if in fact, it is 30 players? Yeah, not, not only that, but for you know, like a player like Morgan Frost and some of the younger players, too, a chance to, to further development at a time when they wouldn't be able really to get on the ice. And with no development camp likely this summer, then all of those things could uh, be part of the equation as well as a, as a kind of silver lining in, in all of that. Uh, with the expansion of the rosters. Um, Bill, Ryan Shog from TSN uh, tweeted this out. I know you retweeted, and I saw it as well, and it really kind of jumped out at me. He said he had a conversation with an infectious disease specialist about possible ways to modify the game, when it, if it should come back, to reduce the risk of virus spread during play. 
He said, I'm not suggesting any or all of these are necessary, simply relaying what a few options could be. Uh, the Players Association would obviously have to agree to any such changes. And here are the ones he listed off. Full face shields, uh, potentially modified to reduce spread of droplets even further. Um, absolutely no fighting. No scrums after whistles for linesmen to have to break up. Coaches socially distance and wearing face masks on the bench. Wingers to maintain two feet of distance on face-offs instead of the traditional crossing of the sticks and leaning into one another's space. And no spitting on the ice or the bench. Um, Bill Daly did comment on the potential for such changes, and he said, quote, we would consider anything our infectious disease experts and advisors might recommend, but I'm not sure, given the circumstances of our game, that any dramatic modifications will really be necessary. If they went to that, those extents, Bill, then you can put an asterisk next to the cup. Yeah. Because that, look, you can't ask players, and they're playing for Lord Stanley's chalice. There's no way there's not going to be scrums, and there's going to be players taking liberties, knowing that players can't have any retribution. To me, it's all about testing. If they're cleared to, to play via uh, a clean test, then there's no harm. Am I right? Or am no, I being narrow-minded? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, you can test negative and you know be positive. To, you know, test positive a day later. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't see I don't see these as workable. Um, really, pretty much any of these. No fighting. There's really not much fighting in the playoffs anymore, anyway. You know, the no scrums after the whistle. I mean, hockey's such an emotional game. I I cannot see that being, you know, you're not in the moment you're acting on emotion. You know, it's not it's not you're not you're not thinking about COVID-19. You're not thinking about really anything. You're competing. So I don't I don't see the I don't see no scrums being workable. Um, the two feet of distance on face offs. I mean, you know, that's uh, I don't know that 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 really kind of runs counter to the game. That's fundamentally changing uh, an important piece of the game. Um, the no spitting on the ice or the bench. Well, I mean, anybody who's ever been on a hockey bench knows it's a minefield. It's pretty gross. Oh. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that's in some ways might be one of the more challenging ones. Uh, you, can, the, you, you do it instinctually, too. You don't even know you're doing it. You know, yeah, you exactly. sip the water bottle, you spit it out, and you're rinsing nonstop, you know, smelling yeah. salts, the whole thing. You know, I could see dedicated water bottle, I guess. Yeah, which which they kind of have anyway. So that's you know that that's not really a change. But yeah, the uh, yeah, <laughs> that, I just again, I just I just don't think it's hockey at that point. You know, the full face shields. I mean, they have, you know, I mean they were they were the bird cages usually, but and you know they wore that when they were young. But uh, I don't see the 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 full plastic visors. You know, I, I just most players hate those. I mean, it limits I, their I, vision in a big way. Oh, big time! They they fog up. You know, fog up something horrible. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess if it was full face shields or, or no games, I, they would swallow hard and do that. But the, the other ones I don't I don't see as being, you know, very, very workable. Yeah, it seems like there's a bunch of non-starters there. Um, valiant effort, but uh, we're going to spike that one right out of the crease. Um, Bill, the other thing uh, going on with the league right now, too, is, um, you know, the, the draft. We still haven't gotten an answer on this. You and I talked about it last week. We thought we'd have an answer by now. The, the word was they wanted to do it in early June, but they're going to allow teams at least a month to be notified. So notification came tomorrow. We're now in mid-June. And, uh, you know, I guess they're trying to put together a timeline. The return to play committee, which includes uh, Flyers uh, winger James Van Riemsdyk, met uh, today a day ahead of their scheduled meeting for Wednesday. This is we're taping on Tuesday. Um, 
uh, and they're trying to lock these things down. Uh, is it looking more and more likely in what you're hearing that the draft will indeed be in June before the players get back on the ice? It, the, it certainly sounds that, that that is strongly what Gary Bettman wants. It sounds like a lot of you know parts of the uh, Board of Governors, the team owners, are in favor of that. You know, the, the pushback has come from hockey operations departments where, you know, they have a lot of players to rank and, you know, they they haven't had playoffs in these leagues. They haven't had a combine. So it's, it's a little harder than usual that you need. You want you want the lead up time to be able to do it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think a compromise would be to because originally you're hearing pretty early in June, actually, you know, ahead of players even getting back together to work out and, and work, work towards a, uh, work towards a training camp. So I think that, uh, I think that part of a compromise might be to do it more towards the latter end of June and give, give uh, hockey operations departments more time to prepare. But yeah, it, it certainly sounds like that's something the league still would like to do if at all possible. And I'm expecting it to go that way. You know, when all is said and done, I, I think it's that in there. Yeah, and I heard an interview with Chuck Fletcher on NHL Network Radio, and he brought up a great point, and one of the reasons he was against it is because he uses that time at the draft it year in and year out as a chance to reset his roster. Right. A lot of a lot of moving parts. I mean, you're asking if they're even going to make trades at a June draft before the season's over. Um, you're asking them to make trades without even knowing what the cap situation is and how affected it could be, whether they do or don't come back. And, and the difference is, market um with 180 or i guess 1.2 billion dollars in missing revenue right now we'll see how much they can make up and without fans but um i imagine they'll keep it flat and try and find a way to spread that pain out over a couple of years but it it is a a great way for teams to to reset their roster make a lot of moves and you know you have your your areas uh you know your teams like detroit your teams like anaheim that have tons of cap space that can be a real advantage to them and that may be taken from them in this situation oh sure yeah i mean you know and you'll have your teams that are already eliminated so you might see some nhl you know nhl level contracts moved among those teams i don't think you're going to see really very much though and the other thing too is that's right around you know typically that's right around the time when that window is about to open um when you can talk to other teams unrestricted free agents Uh, and that's you know one of the other things too is you're preparing a list of, okay, who might we, who might we be able to talk with? And, you know, that, that's kind of out the window. Um, assuming also they're going to have to come up with compromises for the conditional picks that, that involve anything involving a 2020 conditional pick. I think there's 16 of those. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, you know, that's a significant number to, to work out there. I mean, you know, what you'd see as a draft, you know, uh, and always, you know, one of the excitement of the draft is always we have a trade to announce. Well, other than maybe some flipping around of, of picks to to move around, you know, you're trading two picks for one or whatever the case might be. You're really not going to you're really not going to see that typical draft where you, you get a couple of pretty big trades, which is always part of the excitement of all of it. You're going to just see teams for the most part, you know, they have their picks. They're going to make their picks. And yeah, uh, so that's uh, it'll it'll be, you know, it'll be different. Um you know, I, I think, I mean, this year too is not, you know, it's not a bad draft this year. I mean, we'll get into it as we, you know, as we have a date announced and start previewing it, but this isn't, this isn't likely to be a draft where you're having generational players or, or, you know, 
it'll be it'll be uh, an average to a little bit above average draft, and you're gonna you always get good players out of every draft. So that that's you know that's not the point. But this isn't a draft where there's a McDavid or a you know or or, or Sidney Crosby or one of those kind of once in a 15, 20 year, you know, kind of talent to come come along. Nothing against Lafreniere or you know some of the other top field. Yeah, yeah, Byfield. Byfield to me is a really interesting player too. Big, strong, very talented. Mm -hmm. But they're not. They're not in that. They're not in that category of the you know of the McDavid types. So, you know, you don't have you don't have that intrigue of the you know the the ultra mega superstars you know going this year. At least uh, you know at least not heading into their draft year. So. I mean, to me, I mean, I, I, I love the draft. I, I love following prospects. Uh, and, um, you know, to, to have the draft in June, I think, will be an exciting thing, particularly, you know, before there are some games to talk about again. So, you know, but uh, in, terms of, in terms of some of the things we see at the draft, you know, the, the trade rumors flying around, the ones that actually come to fruition, it's going to be, I think a lot of that will be, will be missing this year. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And uh, how how this all affects, you know, the ability for a Lafreniere or a Byfield to start their career in the National Hockey League will be another factor uh, worth keeping an eye on as well. And uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, Bill, real quick, um, you've been writing about this game for a long time. Uh, you've been around players for a long time and you've done some polling along the way and and all kinds of really great articles, including 88 uh Numbers on Eric Lindros is 88. It was tremendous, by the way, you sent me that. Um, but I wanted to ask you about this because the NHLPA players poll um, comes out every year. And this is it's always interesting because, you know, we have uh, perceptions of players as we watch the game to varying degrees, degrees of expertise and what we value as a fan or a student of the game. And then the players sometimes, you know, that's the ultimate kind of uh, credibility for them when they hear, uh, you know, that kind of praise heaped on him, like a guy like Sean Couturier and how he's viewed around the National Hockey League by the players. And, and Coots has talked about that. Um, but the players poll uh, put out the, uh, the the top goaltenders in the league. And I want to know if I should put any stock in this poll. Because to me, I think the players went half-ass and went on reputation and not on result. So here's to... Uh, the 41.55% of the players ranked the best goalie for the 2019-20 season. Do you have a guess on it real quick? I haven't seen the list, so. Terry Price. Yeah, Price so, number one. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that, and that's reputation. I get it. You know, I mean, 31, 31, and 9, his underlying numbers aren't great. I think around 28th and goal saved above average. I mean, he's still a great goaltender. Uh, his environment hasn't been great. The number two goaltender is Andre Vasilevsky. That environment's improved dramatically. Mark yeah. Andre Fleury was the third, and uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, by the yeah. way, who ranks 48th among yeah. 50 goaltenders in the National Hockey League in key goaltending analytic categories. So, yeah. what are players thinking here? Should I should I just stop even worrying about it? Well, you know what I I think I mean I, as you said I think a lot of it is reputation. You know, I mean. You know, and listen. I mean, it's it's not new though. You go back to previous generations of players too, right? Bill Ranford won won a cup in Edmonton, and he lived to me. He lived off that for the next six years because yeah. I don't think he was ever ever played at that level again preseason or postseason. But you always heard you know, Bill Ranford, um, Felix Potvin for a while. Which to me, was overrated relative some to some other guys in the league. He played in Toronto, so that that helped him too. I mean, that that's nothing new, um, you know, uh, and. 
you know, I mean, like Carry Price, like you said, hasn't had his best year. There, there have been times where he looked like the Carry Price of old. I, I mean, Bobrovsky never looked like himself this year. So, yeah, I think that, I think that lingers on for you know for a few years after a guy's beyond his beyond his prime or or whatever. It's had a couple of down years. So, I don't know. I mean, the, I I do think that it, a lot of it's based upon, you know, you. You play against this guy a couple of times a year. He he has the name recognition, and and that that kind of me to me kind of lingers on for a period of time. I don't, I I mean the, the respect from your peers too. That takes that also takes time to earn too. You yeah. know, I think that uh, you know a, a guy like uh, well Carter Hart for example, Ben look Bennington. At the, yeah, look at the year Bennington. Look at the year that um, you know uh, Mackenzie Blackwood has had on a not very good Devils team. He's been mm-hmm. good this year. Once, once that reputation is set, guys have faced them for a few years. Once you know their their name is out there for a while, you'll see those guys start to climb on there. You know, well, Bennington's won a cup already. He's he's not the you know he's uh, not old, but he's not a not a kid compared to some of these other guys too. So, yeah, I, I think sometimes it takes a few years for those kind of player rankings to adjust a little bit. Yeah, the guy for me this year, it should have been known too. I mean, he lost his entire decor in the summer. Uh, big buff. Gone, Tyler Myers. Gone, Truba. Oh, gone, yeah. Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, like, if I was, you know, I mean, it's a GM vote, but if I was voting for the Vezina, Hellebuck would be would be my pick this year. Yeah, absolutely, an absolute workhorse. In, in an era now when most teams, you know, divide the starts, have a tandem. I mean, he's an absolute horse in uh, Winnipeg. He's he's fantastic. Yeah, the the key stat I always look at is goal saved above expected goals. And Hellebuck is a plus 24 goals saved beyond expected. For example, he's number one in the league at 24 plus or 24 uh, negative. Bobrovsky is 7.12 more goals than expected. 40th in the NHL. Amazing, right? Hey, the $70 million contract, man. (laughs) He's got a lot of years in Florida to figure that out. So. Man, Spencer Knight breathing down his throat soon enough. Uh, Bill, last thing. In the last calendar week, I have watched the Flyers lose the cup twice. Uh, Monday evening, the 87 final was on again. I watched it about two weeks ago uh, and watched it in small snippets. I watched the whole second and third period last night uh, on Monday night. And then over the weekend on NHL Network, for some reason, I put myself through the hell of watching game six. Um in 2010, when Patrick Kane scored on Michael Layton in a VH position, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> what am I doing to myself? Yeah, you know, uh, I have uh, never brought myself to watch Game Seven of '87 again. Uh, I would watch it up to the five-on-three goal that made it one to nothing in Game Seven. I, I haven't even watched, you know, that that like bit two minutes in, Bill. <laughs> exactly. Quick lead and you know, one to nothing, and beyond that, I'd turn it off. I mean, it was, you know. It was heartbreaking. What I remember about Game Seven is that, that our uh, cable box was downstairs in the uh, in the basement of my family's house, and I would just pace back and forth. The Flyers were trailing two to one for the longest time, oh. and I would shoot pucks into the dryer, hoping I could will the Flyers into into tying the game somehow. Never, never got one though. Never tied. Well, you, you like sit over there shooting pucks into that dryer, huh? Yeah. Well, the yeah the net was the net was in the garage, so. Uh, had to make do with what we had. Wow, that's that's classic. Yeah, I didn't. And in watching the game, I didn't realize that 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 third goal uh, to put it away for Edmonton came so late in the game, about two and a half minutes left, 
when Glenn Anderson wired that one through the five hole of uh, Ron Hextall, but uh, you could just see the Flyers were out of gas. They just had nothing left, and they had to battle back in a couple of those games, including they were down in a game in that series, three to nothing, and came back and won it five to three. So, and that was the first time in Stanley Cup Finals history that a team came back from a three nothing deficit. We know that would happen many years later in 2010. Not only three nothing in a game, but three nothing in a series too. Um, but uh, yeah, I put myself through a little bit. Uh, I need this game back on the ice, Bill. I'm going bananas. Oh, so well, same here. I think I think a lot of Flyers fans, a lot of hockey fans in general, you know, feel feel that same way, you know. And uh, uh, final final thought on on that series. Hockey is such a game of inches because of the Flyers would have won game two in overtime. And there was mm. a, yeah, they had, they had a chance early in overtime where Fjord never saw the pocket, missed the long side by maybe an inch or two, right? Fjord never mm. saw it because they, you know, there was a bunch of traffic swirling around. Then all of a sudden, Daniel's goal becomes the cup winner if the rest of the series is the same. That's how close that series is. That, that's the, you know, that's the line of difference sometimes in hockey between, you know, the ultimate, uh, <laughs> The ultimate celebration or just the ultimate heartache. And I said, I, I can't I can't watch it. If you talk to most of the guys in that 87 team, unless they subsequently won a cup somewhere else, I know Brad Marsh has Brad Marsh has told me this, Dave Poulin has said it. They will not watch championship celebrations in any sport. They will watch till the end of end of a championship game and they will shut it off. They will not watch a team celebrate because they they were so close to it and didn't get it. Yeah. It's gotta be just devastating. Uh, when you put all that into it, those couple of months and what you put your body through emotionally as well and everything, and then to come up short like that in a game seven is just uh, unbelievable. And that second period, Sinisalo had a great chance to tie it at two, and Fuhrer made an unbelievable save. We forget how good uh, that Hall of Fame goaltender was over there as well, uh, a part of that great team in 87 for the Oilers, the best of all time, uh, as voted uh, by the National Hockey League. Well, Bill, this was a lot of fun. We got a lot into uh, in this episode, and uh, another episode will be coming up on Friday. We'll have player profiles continuing. Connor Bunneman will be the subject on Friday, and he will join uh, Flyers Daily as well. We got a lot of great things planned over the next couple of weeks, and once we find out about a draft, Brent Flair will join us, the Flyers Assistant General Manager as well. So stay tuned. Keep listening. Thanks for listening. Bill, stay healthy. We'll talk to you next time. And thanks for listening to Flyers Daily, everyone. Right, right.